You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to talk about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash it's time. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hey, it's Jean Chatsky. Welcome to Her Money. You know, my guest Gretchen Rubin and I started out the morning talking about circles, and it feels <laughs> like this episode is very circular. Gretchen was our first guest here on Her Money. She is out with a new book. It's called The Four Tendencies. There's a big circle on the cover. We will talk about <laughs> circles, but it feels like we've hit a bit of a milestone. We're heading back to school. We're in our second year, and we're able to have our favorite guests back again, which is amazing. Welcome. Thank you for being here. I'm so happy to be here, to be back. Yes, you're right. It doesn't seem like that long ago. It doesn't seem like that long ago to me. And one of the things that we have noticed as we track the listenership of this show is that People sample something along the way. Somebody tells them about her money. They hear about it. They listen to an episode. And then they go back and they start at the beginning and they listen to you. And we still get, every week, we still get people telling us, you know, how much they like that first show. Oh, that's so nice to hear. That's great. Yeah, it's funny how, like, when you discover a new podcast, I often do the same thing. You go right back to the beginning and you want to have that feeling that you've you've had the complete arc, the complete, you're really caught up. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's nice because even if they only put it out once a week, you can listen on yes. a daily basis yes. and you can actually get yes. caught up, which is terrific. Um, for those of you who don't know Gretchen, Gretchen is the author of Many New York Times bestsellers, including The Happiness Project, Better Than Before, Happier at Home. She's got her own fabulous podcast, Happier, with Gretchen Rubin. And her new book, The Four Tendencies, is coming out on September 12th. And it's all about the indispensable personality profiles that reveal how to make your lives better and other people's lives better, too. Tell us about the genesis of this, because I know this came about while you were working on your last book. Exactly. So I was writing Better Than Before, which is a book about habit change. And so I was thinking obsessively about how we change our habits. Because, you know, it's so weird because sometimes habits change easily. And sometimes it seems like no matter how much you want to change a habit, you can't. Sometimes they vanish overnight. Sometimes people seem to have it pretty easy, forming habits, and then other people really seem to struggle. And there were just all these patterns that I was picking up. For one thing, I kept noticing that a certain number of people, if I said, how do you feel about New Year's resolutions? They would say, I would never keep a New Year's resolution because January 1st is an arbitrary date. And I thought, well, that's funny because the arbitrariness of it never really struck me. But they were all using that same word. So I thought, well, there's something about them that's alike. And then a friend said something to me over lunch, which just blew my mind and was kind of the thing that really got me to focus, which was she said, I know I would be happier if I exercised. And when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? And I thought, 
Well, why? Because she's the same person. It's the same habit. It's the same behavior. At one time, it was effortless. Now she can't do it. And so I was just thinking and thinking about all these patterns, and I, I, I could feel their presence, but I couldn't put them into any kind of structure or see that what was linking them. And then one day, I was sitting at my desk, and I just got hit by this word expectations. And I saw it in a flash that really the most important question is, in this area is how do you respond to expectations? Um, Outer expectations like a work deadline or inner expectations like your own desire to get back into meditation? Well, I mean, let's dive into the differences. Yeah. Because I think the things that other people expect of you and the things that you expect of yourself are very, very different. Which one is more powerful? They're both powerful. And it's interesting because and this is one of the things that looking at the four tendencies shows you is now when people say, well, X, Y, Z is the most important. I'm like, well, that gives me a very important clue about what your tendency is. You think that because those are the values of your tendency. Are you an upholder? Are you a questioner? Are you an obliger or are you a rebel? Different people see that differently. They feel the weight of those expectations in different ways. And this plays out if you're trying to expect something from yourself or trying to expect something from other people. So this is why it can really help you solve problems because you realize, like, oh, there's a whole different way of thinking about this, you know. And so basically what you're doing with this book and what you did with the quiz, and we should yeah. tell people how to oh, take yeah, the yeah, quiz. Oh, yeah, 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 take the quiz. What you are doing with this book is is diagnosing people and telling them something about themselves that is innate, but they may not understand. Well, the funny thing about this pattern is that no one has ever noticed it except for me, which is kind of shocking, because once you know it, it's obvious. It's stark. It's apparent. It is not subtle. It's very, very easy to see. Um, But you're right. Until you sort of look at the right thing, you know, look at the right element, a lot of times people don't understand patterns in in their past life. Like my friend who's like, why could I go to the track team, but I can't run on my own? Well, to me, this is perfectly obvious now. So I think the four tendencies can sort of illuminate hidden patterns in your life or give you a vocabulary to talk to somebody like, well, you see it this way. I see it a different way. And it's not that one person's right and one person's wrong, but now we have a framework to understand. Because sometimes just having a word for something, you're like, oh, yeah, I totally get it now. Everything seems sort of mixed up in my head before, but now I get it. Okay, so let's talk about who these people are, right? Upholders. Yeah. Or should we go in order of the biggest share of the population? How do you want to take them? Why don't I do like a big grand overview? Because usually people can kind of tell what they are and then they can listen differently because they'll be like, oh, that's me or oh, that's my spouse or oh, that's my kid. Uh, are those are my patients. Uh, okay. So so there are upholders, questioners, obligers, and, and rebels. And as you've pointed out, there's a quiz at happiercast.com slash quiz where you can take a quiz if you want an answer, like spit out. And you know what the population is because 600,000 people have taken this quiz. Yeah. I mean, now I think at this point, like, I think it's coming up on a million. It's like a lot of people have taken this quiz. And it's so fun for me to see what they say. Anyway, but most people don't even really need to take the quiz because they'll all just from this brief description, they will recognize themselves and others. So it has to do with how you respond to outer expectations and inner expectations. So like you say, outer expectation is like a work deadline. Inner expectation is like a New Year's resolution. So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. So they meet the work deadline. They keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. Their expectations for themselves are just as important as others' expectations for them. Next, questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So they dislike anything arbitrary or inefficient or irrational. Their first question is, why would I listen to you? So 
they make everything an inner expectation because they have a standard that if that standard's met, then they meet an expectation with no trouble. So those are your people who thought New Year's resolutions were arbitrary. Exactly. Exactly. That's what they were saying. It's arbitrary. It's an arbitrary date. They don't like that. Anytime somebody uses the word arbitrary, it's a big tiff off to me that they might be a questioner. Then obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So this is my friend on the track team because this is the pattern that she didn't see. When she had a team and a coach waiting for her, she had no trouble exercising. But when she was just trying to go on her own with an inner expectation, she struggled. Then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. If you ask or tell them to do something— they are very likely to resist. And typically, they don't even like to tell themselves what to do. So how do rebels get anything done? Well, rebels can do anything they want to do. They can do anything they choose to do. So if you're a rebel or you're dealing with a rebel, you always want to remind them, this is what you want. This is what you choose to do. And also, this is your identity. This is the kind of person you are. So like in the finance thing, you might be like, you're a frugal, responsible person. Like, you're not going to let these companies take advantage of you and like charge you this ridiculous interest. You're too smart for that. You're no sucker. Like, you're not going to be fooled by these (laughs) advertising campaigns. Or you can talk about information consequences choice. I'm going to give you the information you need let you know the consequences of your action or inaction, and then let you you choose. Well, you know what? With this kind of credit card, this is the amount of interest you're paying. Spread it out over over a year, this is the nut. This is the amount of money that you're going to be pouring into the pockets of the credit card company. Up to you. So do you find that people bleed over into other categories? Mm. Like, could I be 95% Mm. obliger, 5% upholder? So that's a really interesting question, and I wish I could show the graph, because if you imagine in your mind the four tendencies in a diamond of interlocking circles. It's a Venn diagram with four circles. Yes, with four circles. So people are really within a core tendency, I believe. Like, you really are an obliger. But you can tip in the direction of the tendencies that overlap with your tendency. So, like, obligers are like upholders, and that upholders and obligers both readily meet outer expectations. So they have a lot in common. And obligers also overlap with rebels, because they both resist inner expectations. So obligers and rebels have a lot in common. And so some obligers, like my sister Elizabeth, if anybody listens to the Happier podcast, Elizabeth is an obliger who tips to upholder. Then there are obligers who tip to rebel, and that comes out differently. So they wear their obliger in a different way. So it kind of flavors it, but you're still an obliger. Well, I'm definitely an obliger. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm an obliger that tips to upholder. That makes sense. My mother is an obliger who tips to rebel. (gasps) I mean, my mother is the nicest person in the world. Uh But she does exactly what she wants to do, exactly when she wants to do it. But maybe she's a rebel who's just very considerate of other people. Because here's the thing about the four tendencies. You could take 50 obligers and line them up. And they would look very, very different from each other depending on how considerate they were of other people, how ambitious they were, how smart they were, how analytical they were, how extroverted they were, how neurotic they were, how adventurous they were. All those things would be different. But as to one thing, how they met expectations, they would be the same. And so if you're a rebel, if somebody asks or tells you to do something, if your response, your instinctive response is, you can't make me. That's rebel. But if you're a loving, considerate rebel, you might say, well, I'm going to choose to do it Ah. out of love for you. Or I'm going to choose to do it because I want to be a loving, responsible parent. But I'm not doing it because I'm supposed to or because I have to. 
I'm always making a choice. Now, see, to an upholder like me, all that choosing sounds exhausting. I'm like, I just want to do what I'm supposed to do. I just want to get it done. But upholders are really interesting to me because I understand doing what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. I totally get that. Yes. But I don't understand. Because you have that as an obliger. But I don't understand the process of setting expectations for yourself, I think, is difficult. That's because you're an obliger. There See, you go. Here we go. This is it. <laughs> this is it. Right? It's because it's that's what you have just defined an obliger. I find it easy to meet outer expectations. I struggle to meet inner expectations. That's the difference. If you were like, I find it easy to set inner expectations, then you would be an upholder. You fit perfectly the definition of an obliger. And by the way, that is the largest tendency. You are in fine company. Obligers are the rock of the world. They are the biggest tendency for both men and women. That is the biggest tendency. Right behind them, questioners. Those are the two bigger tendencies, but obliger is definitely the biggest. And then rebel, very small. And upholder. Very conspicuous. Yes. And upholder is only slightly bigger. And that was a huge revelation to me when I figured that out. Because all of a sudden, all these things that had always mystified me about other people became so much clearer. Because I'm like, most people are not upholders. I'm a rare, freaky, extreme personality. I wouldn't necessarily call you freaky. (laughs) We're going to take a second and just remind everyone that conversations like these are brought to you by Fidelity Investments. And Fidelity is focused on helping women like us understand ourselves a little bit better so that we can then make the progress that we need to make with our money. Because so much of meeting your financial goals hinges Mm. upon the expectations that you and the outside world set for you. So visit fidelity.com slash it's time. You'll find lots of conversations like this one with Gretchen Rubin. You'll find another conversation with Gretchen (laughs) Rubin as well. You'll find information about how to manage your money during life's biggest events and most challenging times. And again, that's fidelity.com slash it's time. So let's bring this around to money and work. Yes. So much, as I said, of succeeding with your finances is habitual. I do not believe you have to be a rocket scientist. I just think you have to do the right things most of the time (laughs) frequently. Yes. You know, and that it's got to be good. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to get done and done and done and done. And that involves a lot of expectation setting or automation. You know, I mean, however you choose to work it out. Are there particular people in this matrix that are going to be more financially successful? And how can you steal their Mm. um, secret sauce? Well, when it comes to the tendencies, it's not that one tendency is the happiest, the healthiest, the most successful, the most productive. It's that the people who do the best, who, who achieve their aims, are the ones who sort of figured out their personality and figured out how to work with their personality to get where they want to go. So let's take obligers, because obligers is the biggest tendency. So one of the really, really powerful things for obligers to keep in mind is if there is an inner expectation that you want to meet, you need to plug in outer accountability in order to meet that inner expectation. So to take a simple example, if you want to read more, join a book group, or they're going to be really mad if you don't want to read. So how might this show up in finance? Let's say Let's say you really want to save, but month after month after month, you're not saving. Well, you might say to yourself, okay, well, what am I saving for? I really want to save for a big vacation for my family. You could say to your family, hey, kids, hey, spouse, 
I'm going to save for this vacation. And if I don't keep these savings, then we're not going to get to go. And then you've got all this weight of these expectations waiting for you. One of the things I should say about obligers is different forms of accountability work differently. Many obligers really um, are benefited if they pay for something. So um, I'm going to go to this class if I paid for it. But then some obligers almost feel like they're let off the hook. Like, oh, I paid for it. So it's almost like as good as if I went. So you want to pay attention to yourself if that's a good accountability measure for you. But some obligers can even have almost imaginary forms of outer accountability, like their accountability to their future self. So you might say, well, today, Gene, feels like it would be really fun to go take advantage of this flash sale. Right. But future Gene is going to think, man, I really broke my promise to myself. I need to remember what future Gene is thinking. It really is a form of outer expectation, even though it's sort of intergenerated, because it is as if an outside person is judging you, you know, and so that's like an imaginative way to do it. Or you can think one thing is like your duty to be a role model. So you might think of like, well, what am I how can I explain what I'm doing in a way that allows others to benefit from my, what I'm doing? I need to live a certain way so that I can be a role model for others who are important. So you might have a conversation with your children and say, you know, it's really important for us to live with a budget. And so I'm going to show you what that looks like. And you're going to see me implementing this. And in this way, I'm modeling behavior for you. And so you're acting as a kind of um, accountability measure because they're going to see whether you're following through or not. Yeah, I find I I do a little bit of all of those mm, things. Yeah, I what think. other do you what? I mean, I... But you're a role model for like millions well, of people. So and that, by the way, that helps me, it, knowing that I'm a role model for, for a lot of go. people. I mean, I have a very, very small company and yet we have a 401k because I'm like... How could I not yes. have a 401k, right? Yes. Because of course you have yes. to you have to do that. So I get that. But sometimes for me, it's easier to just make the good decision one time that yes. I know I have to make, yes. and then just put it on automatic pilot and check in and feel good about my progress. But you know, know that it's happening at the background, and I don't have to think about it. That all is the time. always the best way for every tendency, and I write about that a lot and better than before. That you want to minimize any kind of decision because anytime you make a decision, you have the opportunity to make the wrong decision, or at least it's going to take something out of you to think, "Oh, am I going to do this or that?" But if you just automate it, and by the way, if you're a rebel or you're working with rebels, autom- they many many rebels talk about how important things like auto pay is for them mm-hmm. because if there's anything that rebels hate, it's like having to do something like I have to write this check every 30 days. They hate that kind of work, that kind of being forced to do something regularly. They hate that. So anything automatic really helps rebels. But you might need to have outer accountability even to set up those habits. So maybe you would say to yourself, I'm going to meet with a professional financial advisor. Yes, it's going to cost me money, but I need that accountability. I need the expertise. But a lot of times people are like, well, I could just read up on it. Like, why would I pay for that? I could just do the research myself and do it. Because if you make the appointment, you will show... Yes. Yes. And then, you know, somebody who's going to be like three weeks later, like, hey, I know we talked about X, Y, Z. Have you followed up with X, Y, Z? That accountability is precious. And if you were an obliger, it's necessary. It's worth paying to have outer accountability, especially as you say, if it's going to fill your life with all these habits that then you never have to think about again, except for like 10 or 15 years later when you wake up and you're like, wow, I'm really glad I went to that meeting in 2000. It's really, really powerful. But I think a lot of times people are like, well, I should be able to do it on my own. But sometimes you can't. I mean, and this is what I would say to your friend. And there's no shame in that because it's a huge group of people. Oh, my gosh. 
Huge numbers of people need accountability. So, but other tendencies will say, you should be able to do it on your own. If if this is a priority for you, you should be able to put yourself first. You should be, whenever somebody says the words to you, you should be able to. That's a huge warning sign that they're about to give you advice that would work for them, but not for you. It doesn't matter what you should be able to do. It's what can you do? What do you want to do? If somebody says to you, if it's important to you to save, you should be able to read a couple books you know, listen to some podcasts and figure out a plan on your own and implement it. And you're like, it doesn't matter if I should be able to do that. That's not realistic. I've been saying to myself for 10 years, I'm going to do that. I haven't made any progress. Now is time to give myself the outer accountability that is going to make it effortless and easy for me to keep these promises to myself by using outer accountability as this tool. Well, that's what I would say to your friend who wants to be running. Like, I have a running buddy. See? You're such an obliger. I love it. I have a running buddy because, you know, and we keep each other. Yes. You know, I don't want to get up at 6 in the morning sometimes, and she doesn't want to get up at 6 in the morning sometimes, but we have to. And I think for some people, they're just like, that's me, that's fine. But then some people really beat themselves up for it and are like, I'm lazy. There's something wrong with me. Oh, my running partner got injured, so I don't understand what happened. Why am I not running? Like, they're they're mystified by that change. So sometimes just understanding, like, I need this. And then, okay, if your running partner moves away, it's like, okay, well, now I think I'll take a class. And where a teacher's going to notice if I don't show up. Or I'm going to sign up for a class where if I don't go, it means that I foreclose somebody else's opportunity because there's only 10 spots. Right. So I have a, a you know. There's an obligation. An obligation to others to, like, show up or I'm going to pay for a trainer who's going to charge me whether I show up or not or I'm going to run with my dog because my dog loves it so much and is so disappointed if I'm like not reaching for the leash every morning. All these things are possible. Let's just spend a couple minutes on the other tendencies before because we've been talking all about me and we talked a little bit about the rebels and how rebels have to automate. If you're a questioner and you think, well, why is this? Who says I have to save 15%? Right. Right. How do you get beyond that? Okay. So excellent question. So the thing about questioners is questioners are very, very pure. They tend to love like data and research and information. They love to customize. So they like to take systems and make them like the most efficient for themselves personally. And they love information. So if you're feeling stalled out as a questioner, you want to go deep, deep, deep. So this is is like the opposite of a pleasure. You want to go deep into your own inner justifications. Why are you doing this? Why is this the right thing for you? Why is this the most efficient way to save? Why is this going to save you the most money? Why is this the smartest way to do? But here's another thing that can happen to questioners is they can get analysis paralysis, which is when they want more and more and more information or they want to go in deeper, deeper, deeper into research. And so they can't make a decision. So like, oh, I'm trying to pick a certain kind of savings account, but maybe it's this one and maybe it's this one and maybe it's this bank and maybe it's that bank and, like, there's more information and I'm just going deeper and deeper and deeper and so I'm not making a decision. A lot of FOMO with questioners? Yes. So they feel this pain of making the wrong decision. So some of the things that can work if you are a questioner or you're working with a questioner is you can set a deadline. So you can say something like, it's really important that I get this going. I'm going to give myself a month and at the end of the month, I'm just going to act because any decision is better than no decision at this point. I can always change my mind later. I'll learn something about myself and about the process process from starting. I needed to start. Another thing is to use a trusted authority. So, well, I'm going to ask this person who I know is really, really financially savvy. What, how did they set theirs up? And I'm going to be very guided by their judgment. I'm going to make my own decision, but I can be guided by something. If it's good enough for that person, that tells me a lot that it's probably going to be good enough for me. Or it's setting limits. At a certain point, it becomes inefficient to keep researching. Always say to yourself, I'm stalling out. 
I'm not getting anything done. I need to go back to that justification of efficiency. And then also to remind yourself, once you do something, you start to learn about yourself. And then you can customize and tweak it and hack it so that it's better for you. And this is the kind of thing that appeals to the questioner. And upholders, do they need any advice at all? Well, so upholders always just need to remember what the outer and inner expectations are. So they need clarity on that for them both to be powerful. They do tend to find it easier to do this kind of thing. They can often suffer an opposite problem, which is tightening. And that is when upholders start with kind of a habit or a behavior, and over time their rules get tighter. So my former producer on the Happier podcast was um, Henry, and he's an upholder like me. And he was saying how his girlfriend – he's like young and, you know, um, he's got a girlfriend (laughs) who was trying to get him to use a budgeting app that had really been powerful for her and really, really, really helped her cut down on her impulse buying and save, and she had a great experience with this app. she was really suggesting for Henry that he used it. And he said to me, I know I could not use that app because I would become so preoccupied with tracking every single penny that I spent that it would kind of drive me crazy and it would take up too much time and energy. And I said, and you probably don't really have a problem with this anyway, right? And he's like, not really. And like, you're solving a problem that you don't have and you're recognizing that this could like play into a part of your personality that might be less than productive. For instance, I've heard of other people like, uh, you know, with their Fitbit and they, uh-huh. you know, they want their minimum number of steps. Like somebody's like, it was midnight. I was in the bathroom like jogging in place because I had to get to my steps. So as an upholder, you want to be aware when things are getting tighter because sometimes it's fine for the rules to get very tight, but sometimes they can choke you. And so yeah. you don't want to, you don't, and it's like with finance, you don't want to get so preoccupied with it that you squeeze all the joy out of life. Right. You, you know, and that's something that can get... You know, and upholders can get really fixed on meeting these inner and outer expectations. And sometimes it it can make them seem rigid to the people around them who are like, you know, let's go out to this nicer restaurant because we can afford it and it's your birthday. And then you're like, no, 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 I want to keep to my daily. But, you know, it's like, okay, sometimes you need to be able to break the rules a little bit. Yes. And so for an upholder, they always have to remember, okay, I'm choosing to do it. I have other values, other expectations that I'm meeting. I'm not just going to instinctively meet every expectation just because I can. Well, I think you have another hit on your hands. (laughs) It's fascinating. I mean, it really, it it just, I am thinking about myself and my husband and my mother and my daughter in a very different way after having this conversation and not just financially, but in terms of life. So I will be passing the book around. Excellent. The book is The Four Tendencies, The Indispensable Personality Profiles That Reveal How to Make Your Life Better and other people's lives better, too. Gretchen Rubin, thank you so much. Everybody should be listening to the Happier Podcast, by the way. And where can they take the quiz? Uh, Happiercast.com slash quiz. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was fun. I love Gretchen Rubin. I know. I know. She dispenses so much information Mm -hmm. so quickly, like, On my Audible app, where I listen to books, there's a thing where you can slow down the reader, which I never do. (laughs) But I may actually, I I may, you know, for this one, when I go back and listen, I may listen, I'm going to listen again, Mm -hmm. you know, just because there's so much in there. Yeah. I agree. She packs a lot into everything she says. And it's all very useful information. Yeah. And you are? I'm an upholder. You she are. diagnosed me too. She she did a, a courtesy ask because I told her I you know I was reading the book and I took the quiz. She's like, "What are you?" And I was like, "An upholder." She's like, "I knew it." 
<laughs> I knew it. Um, but I also think I'm an obliger too. You know me well. Like, and I think I think you are an yeah. obliger. I think you're an upholder with obliger tendencies, uh-huh. rather because I've heard you say, "Well, this is a goal I've set for myself." Like mm-hmm. you, you actually do. You go through that process in a very overt way. Yes. So. I do. All right. And we've got questions. We do. Two questions this week from two different Cathy's. Our first, we're relocating and we'll be selling our home and purchasing a new one. Are the flat fee real estate agents a good, legitimate way to sell a home? Any gotchas? Um, They can be a good, legitimate way to sell a home. I think the the idea is you want to understand, because they're not all the same, you want to understand what you're getting. Are you getting... Of course, you're getting MLS services, but what else comes along with this? Are they going to take professional pictures of your home? Are they going to, are there any staging services that are going to be thrown in? And then I think for anybody who is selling a home, you should really be opening up the negotiation to talk about the fact that, well, what if I bring a buyer? What if the buyer comes to the table and it's not through a broker? What happens to the commission at that point? Leave yourself some wiggle room because you never know exactly how these transactions are going to pan out, where the buyers and the sellers are going to come from. I know real estate brokers work hard for the money, but there's a lot that individual homeowners can also do. And if you are doing some of these services yourself, then I don't think you should have to necessarily pay the full commission. Great. Thank you, Kathy. Second, Kathy, her question, my son just graduated college in May and started a new job in July. Are there any bank credit cards he can apply to as a first-time applicant or are store cards easier to get? So as a recent college grad, what your son wants to do is build credit. And for that, a bank credit card is going to be the way that he wants to go. If he's got an income that he can document, I'd say just have him apply for a card. You can actually go on a website like cardhub.com and figure out for people who have fair credit or good credit or excellent credit, how they're likely to be viewed. Because he doesn't have credit, he'll be viewed less well than people who have been in the system for a very long time and have thicker files. You can also have him apply for a secured credit card, which is essentially a card where you make a small deposit with the issuing bank. That deposit becomes your credit limit. It's usually just a couple hundred dollars. You pay the bills off on time over a 12 to 24-month period, and once that's done, it converts to a regular card. It's a very easy way to build credit. The other thing for other people who are, are thinking, are there any other ways to do this, is... You can add your kid to one of your cards as an authorized user, have them pay you, you pay the bill, and they get the bump of your credit. You just have to make sure that the issuing bank reports to the credit bureaus on behalf of your son. Not all of them do, but it's a simple phone call to pick up the phone and ask. That's what we did, and it was so helpful. I nev- I haven't. I had did to- it for my son, yeah, too. I haven't had to worry about credit, or I didn't have to worry about credit when I graduated. It was very easy for me to apply for my own card. Yeah. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, um, but lots of different ways to go, Kathy. You can figure out what makes the most sense to you. And congrats to your son. Started a new job in July, so that did not take very long at all. Again, for everybody who's listening, we love to hear from you. So you can reach out to us on Twitter, on Facebook, at jeanchatsky.com. Send us your questions. Let us know what you're thinking. Leave us a review. And in our weekly Thrive segment, it is time to talk about healthcare. Talking about healthcare these days is not meant to raise your political hackles. It's meant to nudge you into realizing that with all the uncertainty swirling in the healthcare arena, the very best thing you can do for your financial health is to prepare. So first, do your best to add a little bit of wiggle room in your budget for potential changes in healthcare costs down the line. We know that a medical emergency is the thing that throws more budgets for a loop than any other thing, and it is a good reason in and of itself to make sure your cash cushion has at least a few thousand dollars in it, preferably more. Next, as we head into open enrollment period this fall, take a good hard look at the healthcare options that are available to you. For most people, that just means looking at the choices that your employer has put on the menu. If you've got a health savings account or an HSA and it's a new option, look at it closely. One might be a very good fit, especially if you are young and healthy and set up automatic contributions into that account. HSAs are what's called triple tax-free, which sounds like lingo, but just means you get a tax deduction for making your contribution. The money grows tax-free, and when you pull it out of the account, no additional taxes are owed as long as you use that money for qualified medical expenses. In other words, it's a really, really good thing. If your employer doesn't offer coverage, you may still qualify for a subsidy to purchase care via one of the exchanges established by the Affordable Care Act, or ACA. And as for all of those changes that are coming to the ACA, we don't know what they're going to be yet. We are watching for them, so just stay tuned. We will bring you all of that. Thanks to all of you for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Gretchen Rubin for a really inspiring and thought-provoking conversation. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at iTunes. Please leave us a review. We want to know what you think. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. Our music is provided by Track Tribe. Our show comes to you through PRX. And join us next time on Her Money. We will have Rachel Simmons, author of Odd Girl Out, in the studio. It'll be a terrific conversation. We'll talk soon. 